morning. So today, like Donovan said earlier, and they said in the video, we're going to be talking about Satan's third tactic he uses to tempt us, and that is distraction. And today's main thing is that he, Satan's third tactic is to tempt you with the immediate and the urgent. So in the Bible, there's, I found three like, very overarching ways that Satan's going to try to distract you. The first of which is relationships and sex. So searching through the Bible to find stories of people who Satan distracted in this way, few people stood out in particular to me. That was King David and Samson the Nazarite. So David was distracted in the book of 2 Samuel at chapter 11. And that book begins with verse 1 where it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So he's already kind of doing something, seeing a little bit strange at the time. This is a time where your kings of these countries lead their armies into battle, but he stayed home. And it continues in verse 2, saying, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home, the woman conceived, and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you come just from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go home to my wife to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest and withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall who killed Abimech, son of Jerubbeseth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. 
The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came up against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The swords devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We read the end of verse 27 again. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. Now, if he can fall to this kind of distraction, so can everybody else. He's not really all that different from us in that way. Now, another person in the Bible distracted by Satan in this same way as Samson the Nazarite. Now, Nazarites were Jews who made special vows of sanctity to God, but this vow came with a few extra rules that Samson ends up breaking. In Judges chapter 16, verses 6 through 21, it says, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied with him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Verse 10 says, Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now tell me how you can be tied. He says, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off of his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. So three times Delilah asks Samson how his strength can be taken away. And three times he tells her something that is wrong. But the fourth time went a little bit differently. Verse 15 says, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Delilah then cuts his hair while he sleeps and awakens him to be captured by the Philistines. Verse 20 says, Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson became distracted by Delilah and his love for her, but he didn't think of the vow he made to God. Then when the vow was broken, whenever Delilah shaved his head, it says the Lord had left him. The second way that Satan will try to distract us is with the use of our time. 
whether that's spent on hobbies like watching Sunday night football or spending time with our family and friends. If our time is entirely filled with things not God-centered, how can we possibly build a relationship with him? Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So it's telling us that we need to take the book of the law, which is in this case the Bible, and meditate on it and really think about it every time we read it and really take time to understand what it's saying to us. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, spent time with his Father. So, and everything else, he went away from everyone else and everything else and prayed. So how can we say if we're using our time in any other way, like if we're playing games with our friends, we're watching football, things like that, we can't really be focused on what God is trying to tell us, and we can't really spend time with him and build our relationship with him. Now this is like really, really important for me personally, because every, like I'll get home from work at like 8, 39 o'clock, and I won't really want to spend time with God. I won't want to read my Bible. I won't want to pray. I'll just want to... like go to sleep sometimes or play games with my friends online. But I know that I really should spend time in the Bible. So I wake up earlier in the morning. I set some time out of my day to do these things, to read my Bible, to pray, to spend time with God, since I know that I should spend time with him. So the third way that Satan will try to distract you is with money or material things. He will try to convince you that having a lot of money or stuff is the most important thing ever, and that it's far more important than your relationship with God. Matthew 6, chapter, verse 19 through 20, store up treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's telling us we don't need to just build up like massive amounts of wealth here because eventually it's not going to matter. Eventually we're going to die. We're going to go to heaven and all of the stuff that we have here on earth is gone because it's a part of this world. We don't get it whenever we die. So it's not necessarily important. Matthew six twenty four says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The treasures you build up on earth will inevitably fail, since they're part of the world. They don't matter whenever we die. They're going away. In Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, we get a story about a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus lied and cheated money out of the people of Jericho. His mind filled with the thoughts of being rich and having massive amount of wealth. And when Jesus came to the town, he went to Zacchaeus' home. He ate with him, and Zacchaeus, seeing the error of his ways, gives his mouth back to the people he has cheated it from. Now, none of these things... Okay, anyway. <laughs> now that that's over with. So, none of these things, especially, are bad. Now, but whenever they consume you, and you never spend time with God praying and reading your Bible, how is your faith able to hold up against the world? If you're constantly being distracted by things like God, like money or your time or relationships with other people, 
how can you really spend time with God and actually really learn what he wants you to learn from the Bible? Like, how can you go and read and study what it's saying? So David, Samson, and Zacchaeus all got distracted by Satan, and he knows which of these distractions will steer you away from God the most. For me, it's the use of my time, like I said earlier. I love spending time with my friends, playing games online, and sometimes it cuts into and affects my time with God. But I try to just kind of make time for him and things like that. So I'm going to pray as Dave comes up. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to talk in front of all these people. And thank you for the ability to really delve into your word and understand what you're trying to get me to say to these people. I just hope that the people here understand what God was, what you're trying to tell them through me, the distractions that Satan will try to use against us. And really absorb this knowledge and use it to better themselves and better their relationship with you. Amen. Days like today probably mean the most to me as pastor because as the book of 3 John says, there's no greater joy than to see our children walking in the truth. And, um, and when we see um, <laughs> Sam and Quinn and Ava and Zach and... Um, uh, <laughs> No, Donovan <laughs> uh, and and Ethan and all of the tech team that is running this thing. Um, I didn't see 16-year-old Sam and 14-year-old Ava and, and 10-year-old Quinn. I saw my little two-year-old boy, you know, uh, with a huge head <laughs> wandering around. You know, I saw Ava being carried in in a in a, in a bassinet when, when she first started coming to church here and Quinn being a little itty bitty girl that, that went to the nursery uh, and watching them grow up in this church, watching this church nurture them and teach them and, and watching, you know, that, seeing that picture of the Jordans when they, when they came here and Zach was, you know, this tall, not this tall, you know, this tall. Um, watching Zach get baptized and, and, you know, and watching these children grow up and now they are blessing us. How many of y'all were blessed today? By, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> blessed by. And even our youth minister, Donovan, was a kid at this church that was nurtured by you all and brought up, and now he is ministering to our kids, to our, to our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. And I can't think of anything more healthy in a church than to see that, see the young people grow up and take on the burden of ministry uh, for the next generation. Um, I don't know about you all, but when I was a kid in church, I never got the sense that the adults liked me or wanted me around. Maybe they did, maybe they thought it, I was great, but they didn't communicate that. And we never had opportunities like this. And to see what our children, now young men and women, on their way to becoming adults, have offered to this church is a testament to you all, church, 
the way that you have nurtured them, people in children's ministry, youth ministry, your parents, that, that is a testament to how much you all care about them. And so to all the people under age 18 in this church, we love you. We love you. Uh, we, want, we want you here. I'm so glad you guys were serving today. You all blessed us more than you could ever imagine today. And you brought us great joy. And so I just, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Colby. Colby Jordan, who was a kid, he's in college now, but he, uh, uh, but he was a kid in this youth group, is running the tech for the whole thing. The online people, everything, uh, uh, the, the amount of, of, of service that our youth group gives this church. Sunday morning could not happen, right, JK? Sunday morning could not happen without our teenagers, could it? I mean, the, you all, you're a volunteer. They, they work behind the scenes. They run cameras. They run sound. They run online. They run lights. They, half of them play in the worship team. We have amazing young people, and uh, so I want to tell you, the future looks bright, y'all, because of what we see in our young people. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. Uh, We'll see you guys next Sunday. Bye-bye.